All right, Galatians chapter 1 this evening, and we're going to dive into this study together, uh, the book of Galatians. And I'm excited about this book, and I want, you, I want you to know why. As I read and study Galatians, the book of Galatians brings me, and should bring all of us back, to the simplicity that is found in Jesus Christ. Simplicity in the gospel, the simplicity of His grace, of His mercy, it brings us all back to the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no better place to be than at the feet of Jesus. There's no better subject to study than the gospel and grace of God, the mercy of God, freedom we have in Christ. No better subject to study than Jesus himself. Amen. All right, thank you. Uh, just make sure you're awake, okay? Uh, there's no better subject. And so that's why I'm excited about this book. It brings us all back to Jesus, all right? Now, as we come to it, keep in mind, I did a quick overview last time we met, last Wednesday we met, of the book of Galatians. And it's just a good um, thing to keep in our minds as we study it together, all right? So, keep these few things in mind of who wrote it. All right, well, we know as Paul, he was the human penman, as he's being moved by the Holy Spirit of God, as 2 Peter chapter, chapter 1, 22 says, the old men were of old were moved by the Holy Ghost. Uh, he is the human penman being moved by the Holy Spirit of God to write this book of the Bible. And just for our education, all right, this evening, uh, the word move there in 2 Peter 1, 21, it's like a, a wind that is moving upon the sail of a ship to direct that ship in the way it should go, okay? So, Please be confident in knowing as you read the Bible, it is the Word of God. As God moved upon these individuals to write it, to direct the words He wanted written for us today. This is God's Word, so please know that, all right? So who wrote it? Well, we know it was Paul. He was the human penman. When was it written? It was written between 55 and 60 A.D. This is significant because it's under the tyrannical rule of Nero. No doubt these Galatian believers... We're facing some form, at least, maybe a small form, but a form nonetheless, of some kind of persecution. All right? So it's written around that time period. To whom it was written? Well, it plainly tells us in Galatians 1 2 that it's to the churches at Galatia. Now, keep in mind, Galatia now, we're not referring to a city itself, but rather we're referring to an area, a region. It'd be like us referring to this region of the United States. We would call it what? The. God's country, yes, that's right, south, amen, all right, no. But the southeast, okay, we refer to this region on the map as the southeast. Well, as you refer to this region of Galatia, there are many cities there. Cities like Lystra, Iconium, Antioch, and others. In each one of these cities, you'd find churches. Therefore, Paul is writing to the churches of Galatia, where there's many cities like that. Now, that's to who it was written. Now, why was it written? Well, after Paul planted these churches... False teachers that we're, we call Judaizers began to bring in their works-based salvation. They began to mix law, Old Testament law and grace. They're beginning to add to the finished work of Christ. And in doing this, in doing this, they were denying, truly denying the work of Christ on the cross as the finished and final work for salvation. And in doing so, I say, yes, that's good. Jesus died for you. You need to believe on him and add these things to it. That is very dangerous. That is very wrong. So Paul knows this. He's gotten wind and word that this is happening in the churches of Galatia, the churches he loves dearly, the churches he has started and planted, the churches he's preached to and taught. 
He, he is hearing these, these Judaizers are bringing this another gospel to these cities and to these churches. So Paul, knowing this, knowing it's beginning to happen to the churches of Galatia, he picks up his pen and begins to defend the truth and defend the gospel. So this is the who, the when, the to whom, and why of this little book of the Bible. But now let's look. Now let's look at the what was written to the churches of Galatia. All right? And so as we study this, we'll go line by line, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, through the book of Galatians. And the first verses i like for us to look at this evening is going to be verses 1 through 9, okay? So Galatians chapter 1, starting at verse number 1, we'll go down through verse number 9. It says, "Is Paul, an apostle, not of men, neither by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brethren which are with me unto the churches of Galatia. Grace be to you and peace from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from the present evil, this present evil world according to the will of God and our Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Verse number 6. I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another. But there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. As we said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you that ye have received, let him be accursed. Before we jump into the meat of the message this evening, let's pray again together. All right, our Father... We're thankful again for another day to open the Word of God and to study, to come together to fellowship. Lord, we're thankful. We're thankful for this privilege and opportunity we have tonight. I pray to open our hearts and minds to the Word of God. Help me to preach, because Lord, I know without you I can do nothing. Help us to grasp the truth you want us to see from these verses today. And help us grow in the grace and knowledge of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Do a great work, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, the first thing I'd like for us to see from this portion is this. Number one, take note of Paul's authority. Paul's authority. All right. Now, the very first word uh, that is in this letter is the word what? Starts with a P, ends with an all. It is Paul. That's right. The very first word is Paul here. Now, it's not just a word. It's rather a name. But this name here of Paul, I want you to know something. As he's writing to these, these Christians, it would carry an immense amount of weight with it, especially for these Galatian believers because it was Paul, remember, that started these churches on his first missionary journey to this area and to this region. You see, to have this signature of Paul on this letter, it meant that this letter was worth something. It meant this letter was valuable. Why? Because it had some authority Behind it. It came from their beloved and trusted Paul. It had some authority behind it because it had some value with it. Let me ask you a question. What if, what if I had a rookie card of Michael Jordan? Would you say it's valuable? Let me tell you how much it is worth. I looked it up today. All right. You know how much that rookie card? A 1986, yes, I was around 1986, teenagers, all right? 
And no, that's not very old. All right. Anyway, in 1986, Fleer, number 57, Michael Jordan rookie card is worth nearly $55,000. I wish I had about 10 of them, you know. But the card alone is worth that. Now, let me ask you this. Do you think if he put his John Hancock on it, his signature on it, would that increase in value, yes or no? Yes. Why? Because an authentic signature was upon that card. There's no telling how much it'd be worth. Whoever wanted to buy it could spend as much money as they wanted to, I'm sure, on that kind of card. But why would it make it valuable? Why would it have authority, that card? Because of the signature upon it. That's what makes it valuable. That's what give it that authority to be valuable. I, I, I've heard, maybe you can help me with this. Some of you might know this one being, being especially long-time members of Bowling Springs. But I was just recently told again of the, um, uh, the, the letter we've got from President Johnson. Is that right, Miss Doris? Ralph, you know the story? Okay. So the, the letter that the church has from President Johnson. Back in the day, the, the, they were wanting to come through our property and take more of our property to widen the interstate. Is that correct? Or, or bring the interstate through our property? A clover leaf right here. That's what they're wanting to do. So they're going to take our property and make it more uh, on, on for the interstate, yada, yada, right? And uh, they can do that by intimate domain. They can do it whether you like it or not. Unless you have authority that says otherwise. Well, President Johnson wrote a letter and signed his signature to the letter saying that the state would not take any more property from the property of Boiling Springs. Now, when they tried to do that, uh, we... This is what's been told to me. I wasn't here, obviously. But they, we told them, the church told them, no, that's not going to happen. And they, they were trying to be polite, as the state can be. Uh, yes, it's going to happen. And they said, okay, let's have a meeting. And uh, they had the meeting. And what was took to the meeting was a simple letter that was addressed to whom it may concern with the signature of the President of the United States, right? And so after they saw the signature of the President of the United States at the meeting, they said, you know what? We can't take your property. Well, we try to tell you that, you know. Why? Because there's some authority behind that letter with the name of the president on it. All right. So as you'll see Galatians here, and you see Paul, listen, he is showing his authority here in the very first word, the very first name to this letter in Galatians 1.1, and it's Paul. And no doubt, as the Galatians saw this name, when they started to the very first thing begin to read this letter, it reminded them of their spiritual leader. It reminded them of the one who no doubt endured hateful mockings, endured cruel sufferings, and harsh imprisonment as Paul came to simply bring them the true gospel of Jesus Christ. And is that very true gospel? These Galatians believed on and were saved and had a home in heaven because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But who brought it to them? It was Paul. And no doubt they'd be reminded of all of this as he opened this letter and said, Paul. All right. So we see the authority, and it's given by his name, but there's something else I want you to see as well. And it's something that um, these individuals, no doubt, would have fully grasped especially at this time, and something we should as well. But notice what's said after Paul. It says, Paul, an apostle. Now, after Paul signs his name at the very beginning of this letter, he didn't follow up with Paul, a servant. He didn't follow up with Paul, a fellow laborer. 
He didn't follow up with, with Paul, a fellow brother. He didn't follow up Paul, a fellow soldier, though he was that and much more, all right? But that's not what he said when he put his name Paul. No, he said, he said this, this word and really this title. He said Paul, an apostle. Now, what's an apostle? The word apostle, in a broad sense, simply means sent one. Or it's this, it's one who is sent with a commission. And in the broad sense of the word, all born-again believers are sent with a commission. All right, And that commission is this, to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. Matthew 28, 19-20, Go ye, therefore, and teach all nations, baptizing them in the, name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even in the world. Amen. In Mark 16, 15, he said unto them, Go ye into all the world, and preach the gospel to every creature. So that's the general sense. But in context, Paul is using it as a specific, more specific sense, all right? It's a specific call. It's a specific commission when, when Paul is referring to himself as an apostle. Look at it again. Verse number 1, Paul, an apostle, not of men, neither by man, but by Jesus Christ. And God the Father who raised him from the dead. He was saying, look, my apostleship was not from human selection. It was not from not being appointed by some church committee to be an apostle. It was not come from majority vote or human approval. It didn't come from the brethren looking at me and saying, I bet he'd make a good apostle. That's not how it came. His apostleship came by Jesus Christ himself. He was appointed, authorized by Jesus, given to him this title of apostle. And you can read this for yourself. For yourself in Acts chapter number 9, verses 1 through 16, when, he, when it says, when that, as said, his conversion. And he says, Lord, what thou have me to do? And then later on in that same portion of Scripture, uh, Jesus be speaking to Ananias in a, in a vision. And he, talk, he told Ananias, he said that Paul is a chosen vessel, in verse 15, Acts chapter 9, chosen vessel unto me. He had a specific call, a specific commission. It was the Lord that called him to be an apostle. And just so you know and are aware of, not just anyone could have been an apostle, okay? Not just anybody. Now, I know there are those today that would give themselves this title of an apostle so-and-so, but I'll just plainly tell you, as I plainly know how to tell you, there ain't no apostle, all right? It ain't happening. Uh, that, that title, that is gone, all right? It died with the 12 apostles. It died with them. There's no apostles today. You see, to be considered a biblical apostle, there were many requirements for this office. And one of those main requirements was this. You had to have seen with your physical eyes the risen Christ. Acts chapter 1, verse 22. As they're about to find someone to take the spot of Judas, here's what the Bible says. Wherefore, of these men which have, which have accompanied with us all the time, that Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John, unto the same day that he was taken up from us, must one be ordained to be a witness with us of his resurrection. This is one of the main requirements that they had to have to be considered even an apostle. So understand why Jesus was caring about his earthly ministry. He had many disciples, which means learners, but he only had 12 chosen 
apostles. You can see that in Matthew chapter 3, verse 13 through 19, when he ordained 12 that they should be with him. Goes on to list their names. And of course, in that name, yes, you will find even Judas Iscariot, as the Bible says, which also betrayed him. Now, all those men saw Jesus Christ risen from the dead except for Judas Iscariot, correct? Yes? All right. So all those saw Jesus' resurrection except for Judas. Why? Because after he betrayed the Lord, he's so full of self-guilt, not godly guilt, went out and hung himself. Okay. So how does Paul then, since you've got to see Jesus resurrected, or see the, re the risen Savior, how does this fit into the equation for him to be considered an apostle? Well, again, you let Scripture interpret that for itself. You find the answer in the Bible, and it says 1 Corinthians 15, verse 1 through 10. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also you have received, and wherein you stand, by which also you are saved, if you keep in memory that what, that what I preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. He's given the gospel. Simple plan right here. Died according to Scripture. And he was buried. And that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. And that he was seen of Cephas, then of the twelve. After that he was seen above five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain of this present, but some are fallen asleep. After that he was seen of James, then of all the apostles, and last of all he was seen of me also, here it is, as of one born out of due time. The next few, few words of this, this verse says this, For I am the least of the apostles, that I am not meet to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. Meaning, I'm an apostle by the grace of God. I am what I am. And His grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. So understand something. Paul did see the resurrected Lord. Again, you can reference Acts chapter number 9 and see that. Also, he says this in 1 Corinthians 9, 1. Am I not an apostle? Am I not free? Have I not seen Jesus Christ our Lord? Are ye not, are ye not, not ye my work in, in the Lord? He's plainly letting folks know he has seen Jesus Christ with his own eyes. This is one of the requirements to be considered an apostle. And by the way, just, just a FYI, if you want to put in the margin of your Bible there, you can see, he can see that uh, Paul refers to himself some 19 times in the New Testament as an apostle of Jesus Christ. So this is the authority that was given to him by Christ. And that's why he can stand, and that's why he can, he, he can pen these words he's about to write because of his name and because of this title and this authority that comes behind it all. And listen, he had to start this way because of some of the things he's about to write were going to be quite heavy. And if he didn't have the right authority behind it, you ain't going to listen. <laughs> that's why it's important to know who's writing this book and the authority Behind it. The authority behind it. All right. Then number two. I want you to take note of this. Paul's astonishment. Paul's astonishment. Look at verse number six. <clears throat> After he gives his introduction, his salutation, if you will, gives his authority, he says this. He gets right to the matter. Verse number six. I marvel that you're so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel. Now take note of that word marvel there, all right? The word marvel here carries the idea of a surprise. Now, 
not surprised as in a happy sense. Not a surprise like somebody threw you a surprise birthday party and you come in, you're all shocked like, wow, this is cool. Or somebody, you know, you pull up in your driveway and somebody bought you a brand new bass boat and you're like, you shouldn't have. That's amazing. You know, just shocked and surprised, right? Throwing out some subtle hints. Anyway, just kidding. But uh, (laughs) I got to quit that, don't I? All right, so... But surprised, okay? Not in a happy sense. Rather, this marvel, this astonishment, this surprise really comes from one of a disheartened surprise. This is a disheartening surprise. And it came from something unexpected. I would never expect that. I would never understand. I can't understand it. It's, it's, a, it's a surprise. It's a surprise you were just not, just not expecting, but in a very disheartening way. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever received some unexpected news that just made your heart sink to the bottom of your feet? Where some news you, you, you didn't see coming, news you got that you just caught you off guard and it shocked you to no end. Have you ever experienced something like that, anybody? I think most of us say we have. This shocked me to no end. I was not seeing that coming. Well, this is the gut-wrenching feeling the Apostle Paul is experiencing at this very moment towards these believers he loves dearly. I marvel. He said, I marvel that you're so soon removed. I am absolutely shocked by this. Again, verse number 6, he says, so soon removed from him. So this, this is why, this is why he was shocked because they're so soon removed from him that called you in the grace of Christ unto another gospel. He can't believe they've gone to another gospel. Paul's astonished that these Galatians are removing themselves from the Lord himself. Because it says again, verse number 6, so soon removed from him. They're removed from the Lord that have called you in the grace of Christ. So, so, so removed from not only the Lord, but also the grace of the Lord, the grace of God. And he's shocked by this. But why would he be shocked? That these believers, these Galatian uh, these churches here, be, be shocked by them going to another gospel. Here's why. Because Paul did not teach them to do that. He did not tell them to go back and obey the Jewish law and add, add works to the grace that they've just now experienced through the Lord Jesus Christ. He didn't tell them to go entangle themselves once again to the works of the law. He didn't preach a false gospel to them. He never mixed Jewish tradition and the grace of Christ equals salvation. He never, ever did that. That did not come from him. No, when Paul left the churches of Galatia, he left them in a careful and graceful order. He left them rejoicing, really, in so great a salvation that they just found in Jesus Christ. And that salvation that they found was by grace, through faith, in Christ alone. And so he's shocked by this because he didn't leave them that way. He didn't, he didn't tell them, rather, he didn't tell them of another gospel. He left them also with hand-picked elders, pastors, to lovingly lead these people. And by the way, where are they at, you know, but anyway. But he left them elders in every city. He would ordain elders in every city, every church. He left them with all this order. And then when he left them too, he left them, as he left them, they they loved him dearly. They would do anything for Paul, anything. Here's what the Bible says about him. In Galatians chapter 4 and verse 15, 
Paul writing, he says, For I bear you record. He's saying, look, don't you remember? I bear you record that if it had been possible, you would have plucked out your own eyes and have given them to me. <laughs> I would think that if you want to pluck your own eye out and give it to somebody, you, 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 you have a little bit of care for them, yeah. Probably great care, great love for them. But that's how the Galatians were to Paul. They loved him so dearly, yet now they are so soon removed from everything Paul has taught them and showed them. And he is just shocked by it, astonished by it. It's also interesting to me in verse number 6 when it says he marvels that they're so soon removed. So soon. This phrase is very interesting to me because it gives the idea that this decision to move that was made by the Galatians was a hasty one. It was a hasty decision. It was a quick decision. It was, decision. It was so soon. Like, man, it was quick. Like, that came out of nowhere. That's why he's shocked about it too. It was quick. Also, this phrase gives the assumption that the Galatians made their decision without giving proper thought and consideration to the decision, not taking heed maybe to wise counsel. I don't know. Maybe they didn't ask for wise counsel, whatever. But they didn't, no doubt, bother consulting Paul because he, again, was shocked by it all. They were quick and hasty. So this hasty decision tells me something about the Judaizers as well. These individuals that came to the church of that Galatian to compel them and draw them away from Christ, draw them away from the true gospel to another. It tells me something about these guys as individuals. It tells me, man, these Judaizers, these dudes were good. <laughs> they were good. No doubt Paul was a great orator. Maybe he didn't have the stature, you know, that kind of thing, but no doubt he could preach, right? Uh, even, it might be in the Galatians, oh man, I wish I knew right now, I think it, I think it might be the Galatians in that area, okay? So, how uh, they looked at Paul and uh, uh, Apollos, I believe, how one of them, man, they could really preach, and they could really do this and that, so they were really blown away by what they could do. So for these Judaizers to come in and draw people away from Paul and his gospel, <laughs> they must have been some kind of fellas, you know what I'm saying? They must have been really good. They, were, they swept these Galatians off their feet. Maybe these Galatians oohed and awed by the, these, these, these uh, uh, Judaizers' persona, maybe their charisma, their rhetoric, their knowledge. They probably weren't real redneck, you know. They probably spoke well, you know, whatever. But uh, these Judaizers, they were good, you know. Maybe they were good, quote-unquote, preachers. Maybe they were good public speakers. Maybe they had a lot of zeal behind their words. And maybe they're just really good at blowing smoke, you know. But no doubt these Judaizers had some kind of charisma about them. And they also had some knowledge about them. I believe no doubt they had to have some knowledge about the Bible. And no doubt their tradition, because they're trying to draw all these people to that tradition. And, uh, of course, the Scripture. They would have, news, they would have, they would have known about the Scripture, but... To use Scripture, they would have had to taken it out of context and out of its dispensational order in order to compel the Galatians to come to another gospel. I like what um, John Phillips said. He said this, he said, Error, especially when it's wrapped in Scripture and presented under the cover of a false hermeneutic. Hermeneutic is a big long word for this. It's just a simple method of interpreting Scripture. But under the cover of false hermeneutic can sound very much like truth. And my, it sure can. But understand something, no matter who said it or how it was said, error is still error. 
Falsehood is still falsehood. I don't care who says it or how they say it. May say it loud, may say it quiet, may say it with, with jubilant glee. It's still error, all right? Error is still error. And by the way, truth is still truth. But understand, there are a lot of folks in the 21st century as well as the 1st century, people who either knowingly or unknowingly will take the Scripture, falsely interpret it, put Christianese vernacular with it, and present it as God-given truth. And because it has the appearance of Christianism, some believers even, I'm talking about true born-again believers, will swallow it hook, line, and sinker. It was happening in the first century, the church of Galatia, understand it happens even today. And that is why we must be like the Bereans who search the word of God diligently to see if those things be true. We must compare scripture with scripture. Please compare what I say behind this pulpit with the Bible. Please. Because I want to I preach truth. I want to preach the word of God. I want to rightly divide the word of truth. I do, I promise you. And I don't want to be afraid of truth. Okay? But we need, to be, we need to be diligent about that. And we need to know what the Bible truly, truly says. Because there's people out there that want to draw you away from it. They'll use the Bible to draw you away from it. <clears throat> I'm going to prove my point. Okay? Proving point number one. I'm going to say a name. Most of you are going to probably recognize it. And you'll chuckle. All right, let me get a swig of water first, all right? <laughs> Jim Jones. See, I told you to chuckle. <laughs> Jim Jones, if you don't know who that is, took over 900 people to Jonesville and caused them all to drink poison. Now, you think they would do that if they knew truly what was in that Kool-Aid? Of course not. Of course not. He, he used vernacular that no doubt coerced them to do stuff like that. It's awful. But people still do stuff like that today, all right? They do stuff like that today. It happens in the first century. It happens even in the 21st century as well. And sadly, it has happened through COVID. Look, I've seen it. And it breaks my heart. As people that I know, people that I care about, family even, listen, They've been introduced to online preachers and teachers, and sadly, some of those are false preachers, false teachers. I would consider it so. And it's through the online productions of some of these churches with the flashy lights and emotion-driven music, the feel-good sermons, that some folks have been drawn away with that. And here's a reason why I said some of these are false, not all. But some of these are false preachers, teachers. Here's why they do it. 2 Peter 2 and verse 1 through 3. There are false prophets also among the people. Even there shall be false teachers among you, who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. And many shall follow the pernicious ways, by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of, and through covetousness shall they with feigned words, feigned meaning fictitious, artificial, ain't real. These ain't real. These people ain't real. All right. With, with, with feigned words, make, here it is, here's the reason, make merchandise of you whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not, and their damnation slumbereth not. They're going to get what's coming to them. That's what that means. But they want to do all this. Why? They just want to make money off of you. They want to make money off of people and in the context of what Second Peter's writing, or Peter's writing to, to the, the people he's writing to in, in, in this book, is he's making money off of God's people. That's what the false preachers and teachers do. Listen, I don't want to be one of those. 
I just want to bear my heart for a moment, all right? I, I can't compete with, with some of those productions you see online. I can't, and I, nor am I trying. I promise, I ain't trying. Can't compete with the, the lights, the fog, and the flash. I can't, can't compete with the glitter, all right? I can't. But I will tell you what I do want to do. I do want to try my best to be faithful to preach the whole counsel of God, Acts 20, verse 27. I want to try my best to feed the flock of God, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse number 2, and John 21. I want to try my best to give myself to the ministry of the Word of God and to prayers, uh, 1 Timothy 4, 13, Acts chapter 6, verse number 4. I want to try my best to lovingly lead you as God leads us in 1 Peter 5, verse number 2. I want to try my best to be there when you need me the most, James chapter 5, verse 14. I want to try my best to be faithful. That steward shall be, shall, shall be it's, it's uh, I just lost the verse. It's required in stewards, there it is, that a man be found faithful, all right? That's what I want to do. I want to be found faithful. Faithful to the Lord, faithful to my family, and faithful to you. His body of believers at Bowling Springs. Just want to be faithful. But understand there's folks out there that will want to draw all of us, including myself and my family, away from the gospel. Away from the word of God. And to themselves. But I want to be faithful. To this gospel. To this Bible. I want to be faithful. I think that's what Paul's trying to get across to them. He's amazed that they're so soon removed because he wants them to be faithful too. Faithful to the Lord Jesus. Again, what's the whole book of Galatians about? It's about Jesus. Getting them back to Jesus. Back to the gospel. Back to the grace that's found in Christ. That's what he's trying to get them to do. Just be faithful to the Lord. Drawing them back to Jesus. I just want to be faithful. Just want to be faithful. So, number one. We see his authority. Number two, we see his astonishment. And next Wednesday, <laughs> we'll see these two. Paul's advers adversity, then Paul's announcement. All right? And so I don't want to rush through them too much through Galatians, uh, but it's just, it's just rich and it's full, okay? Just full. But anyway, let's be faithful. Let's be determined. Let's be faithful to the Lord and 